yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, boy, I love it, love it. Yeah. I love it, love it. Yeah. I love my HBCU. And man, yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. Man, I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouth. But if they won, she tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Dr. Cavill, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Talkin they compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot yeah. And who the ball? So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, Boy. cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Mike Washington is on assignment, but I have none other than Charles Bishop ready to carry the show. And we may have a guest joining us in the second half, a guest that you all are very familiar with. We'll check to see if we can make that happen as well. But with that being said, welcome to episode 483 of Inside the HBC Sports Lab radio show and podcast. The show that's covering the sporting HBCU dash for all things HBCU sports, for institutions large and small, from the NAIA to the NCAA, we share insights and information on the HBCU sports culture, HBCU athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of HBCU athletic programs in the business of HBCU sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, along with my co-host, Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. We are filming from our home studios and sending a signal live. Case Ways 1230 AM Studios with the Texas Radio Hall of Fame and multi-Hall of Fame, I must add. Mm. Ralph Cooper in the beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas, uh, where excellence in achievement is what we believe in. Mm. With that being said, we do have a little excellence going on on the men's side, basketball, but we'll save that for a little later in the discussion. We'll see what that means for the top five women's and men's major division. With that being said, Charles, how are you doing today? Doing well, Doc, doing well. If you mentioned Ralph Cooper, I need to make sure I reach out to Ralph to see if I can get him to talk to my class. I got a, a class that's doing a project on uh, Lloyd Judge Wells. We got the Super Bowl coming this weekend uh, mm. with the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. But a lot of this generation doesn't know uh, about the important work that Lloyd Wells did, and uh, especially with regards to the history of the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. But I wanted to make sure uh, that this generation is able to uh, understand, respect your roots, and, uh, uh, and and understand from which they come from. A Texas Southern alumnus, Lloyd Judge Wells. I wanted to see if I could reach out to Ralph and, and, and see if I can get him to come into my class to talk a little bit about Lloyd Judge Wells. Man, that's an excellent choice, certainly an excellent individual to talk about Lloyd Wells as well as uh, to do it in such an informative manner that lived around it that also is entertaining in terms of bringing history to life, particularly from a sporting context, which reminded me today I posted out there on some of the social media platforms. A lecture I did back in 2017 for one of my classes where I brought some legendary players that played at Texas Southern in the 50s, coached in Houston, HISD, played professional. Um, so just wanted to give them a love, put that information out there. It's kind of of a 
hidden thing now. We're going to see how many people can figure out who is in the pictures. Mm. And, uh, I'll give an update of what that looks like. I don't want to spoil it for everybody now because we got a lot of viewers that will check that out and then go back and post it as if they know, <laughs> you know, how we do homework assignments in class. We're back to it. Uh, but certainly excited about what that uh, brought to the table. And when I saw it come down my memory list from really, it's hard to believe it was seven years ago. And to rest in peace to both of those gentlemen in tones of both uh, what they look like uh, as we are no longer with two of the three are no longer with us. So uh, two of the four, I should say, are no longer with us. But that is the difference between becoming an elder and then becoming an ancestor. But wanted to get in some talk. There's some interesting information out there. So I want to kind of see what your thoughts on this is. And I'm going to break it down. Since I want to get your thoughts, I'll kind of put it out there. We had heard a little bit about this from A.D. Drew, that this potentially when the new commissioner came on, uh, if you would, in terms of the SIEC, that he might be looking at partnering. We heard the news about them going to or going without divisions. And that seemed to work out really well. But there was some discussion of maybe there would be a matchup of two conferences uh, put on the table. Some people thought it may have been the CIAA and SIEC that that last weekend where they play a championship game, that there may be some top teams that play each other from different conferences to put them in position to maybe get a better opportunity with earning a bid. Because remember, as you know, Charles, at the Division II level, unlike what we do at the FCS level, is there's no automatic conference bid. You know, you have the top six teams that go, and you rank the eight in terms of the regions, and you do have some preferred qualifiers within those regions. Uh, but part of that, in conjunction with this thought process, is to provide this 11th game. So let me get into it. The SIC announces a two-year football partnership with Conference Carolinas designed to increase NCAA Division II playoff berths for member institutions. Beginning in 2025, not this upcoming season, but the following, the SIC will select two teams to play in Week 11 games against Conference Carolina opponents. Teams participating in the SIC championship game will not be eligible to play in the Conference Carolina matchups, nor will their teams that play in their conference championship game. The agreement states that the SIEC institutions will host the Week 11 games in 2025 and Conference Carolina institutions will host the game the following year. Participants will be selected by conference commissioners at the conclusion of Week 10 games each year. Teams with a 500 record or better against Division II opponents will be given priority in the selection process for the Week 11 game. In addition, any team that is scheduled to compete in a postseason competition or has a prior obligation will not be eligible to participate. Quote, before I get into the quotes, that means like Tuskegee, they playing in Turkey Day Classic, they won't be eligible no matter what their record is. Mm. Those teams that are selected to participate in the Peach Beach Bowl, if that continues, they would not be eligible. Or if you have Carolina teams, mainly SIAC teams, that select to play a conference game, or any game, I should say, in a week 11, they won't be eligible. So that's where you get some clarity there. Quote, the SIAC has cited to partner Conference 
Carolinas. This partnership reflects the commitment to provide our student athletes with the best competitive opportunities while fostering a spirit of excellence and sportsmanship in the collegiate football, said SIAC Commissioner Anthony Holloman. This collaboration aims to orchestrate meaningful contests that highlight the exceptional skills by student athletes and play a pivotal role in positively impacting the final regional rankings before playoff seating is determined. Charles, what are your thoughts on this alive? Well, let me let me let me go back to something because I'm trying to understand by by process of elimination, we're going to get to uh, the teams that are eligible to play against the Conference Carolinas. My initial thought when I read this is, what if we have two six and five teams? Who gets the nod? Well, I, I think that's the the conference will really decide that probably based on where they're ranked in those regional rankings. Um, who will be selected. And you got to think about it like this. Obviously, there's going to be a little partnership for the the conference ADs uh, to make sure that they're willing to make the trip and really to participate in it. But the largest part of this is going to be about where teams are seating going into that last week uh, and providing an opportunity for them to update their seating. Remember, also, it's important that Conference Carolinas are bringing football as a sport. As they added shorter university, uh, they will now sponsor football uh, in 25-26. So this is another way to update them and get them into the mix. They previously didn't have football as conference members. Their members would play in other conferences as affiliate members. Now they're going to have their own one. So football members will be Barton College, Shawan University, Erskine College, University of North Carolina, Pembroke, North Greenville, and Shorter University. You've heard uh, some of the SIACs and even some of the CIAA play these teams here and there. But now you see that they'll be playing from a conference perspective. So I think great question when you talk about what does it look like, but I wouldn't get too lost in what the rankings will be. For the most part, you got to remember these teams will actually be playing 10 games. So they'll be more like five or five if you had sure. six mm-hmm. and four in terms of particular. But I think you're going to want to be looking at more teams that are like seven and three, eight okay. and two. Um, like last year, you know, you had a glutton of teams where you had the tiebreaker where only one team could play. Imagine if you could send uh, Albany State uh, over to play in that game in terms of not playing or uh, Edward Waters with a yeah. chance to buff up their Miles College playing yeah. in the game to help them uh, yeah. from that perspective, uh, although you had, obviously, Fort Valley State uh, playing in the uh, Beach Bowl, so they wouldn't be eligible. But there was a lot of teams that maybe another win would have put them in a significant position to do it, uh, to well, jump yeah. up enough to be eligible to make that top six. And I think that's the exciting part about it. When you take a look at the schedule and format, anytime you're giving a, a, another team within your conference an opportunity uh, to, to play in the playoffs, I think that's a great thing. So, so for, for them to figure out this scheduling model uh, with another conference or partnership with another conference uh, to make that a reality, that's a great thing for the conference. So kudos uh, to the brain trust over there in the SIAC for putting this together. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Conference Carolinas, where they will be regionally aligned in terms of these uh, districts, if you would, in terms of those regions. So I'm fascinated there. With that, I'm going to jump back to you, let you put some news on the table. 
Yeah, let me switch uh, gears. Let's talk a little bit about Basketball Swag, Men's Basketball Weekly Honors for this past week. The Swag is named Purdue A&M's Charles Smith IV and uh, Trey Michael Moulton as his Swag Men's Basketball Players of the Week for their impressive performance uh, during this past week. Let's take a look at the players. As Smith, he led Prairie View in scoring during games against Texas Southern and UAPB this past week. He averaged 23 points for the week. Uh, during the past two outs, Smith was 7 of 9 from the floor against Texas Southern, highlighted by a 4 of 5 shooting uh, from behind the arc. Uh, when we take a look at Trey Michael Moulton, he helped Grambling to a pair of victories over Jackson State and all corners past week of competition. He scored 19 points with 4 rebounds and 2 assists to secure the Invesco QQQ Legacy Classic MVP Award as Gramlin defeated Jackson State 70-62. Jackson State, they've lost four in a row now. But kudos to both Charles Smith IV and to Michael Moulton for being named Swag Men's Basketball Players of the Week. Charles, did you get to see any of the QQQ Legacy Classic on TNT? If I did. So, which games did you watch and what were your thoughts? Of course, I paid attention to Jackson State and Grambling. Uh, that was a game, of course, that caught my eye. I caught a bit of uh, uh, Howard Hampton, but uh, uh, it was, you know, uh, an impressive showing, uh, again, to be on TNT. I had a lot of people call and be like, hey, is Jack staying on TNT today? Yes, Jack staying on TNT today. So you had a lot of people uh, tune in to catch the Tigers. And while I'm on the subject, uh, kudos to the Sonic Boom of the South uh, being in three places uh, this past weekend. Drake concert. Uh, Vesco QQQ, and then they came back for the home game, and then they opened for Tabitha Brown in a, a book opening in Jackson, Mississippi. So, uh, sorry, Boomer South. Hey, they got it done. That is how you do it. They, they broke up the band, be it all different places at once. That's that's getting it done. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to that. That is impressive to make those things work. One, the coordination, but the brand availability that you had a tight window to get everything out there and do it in such excellent fashion. That was a, a lot of kudos to what that looked like. Um, the other thing that was big about the QQQ Legacy Classic was over 13,000 fans. Big. Years in a row. So yeah. that's something that, you know, I got to wrap my hands around. I got to finally get up there and try to get some ideas of what is taking place up there, what is um, the environment that is creating significant attendance. You know, is it um, what they do marketing? Is there uniqueness in regards to – uh, not having HBCUs in that area. Is it the time of the year um, mm. that is facilitating that there's that much more focus in basketball than you have in those non-conference games earlier where, you know, you have the Chris Paul, which is a significant event, but certainly difference in terms of the attendance, you know. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, what about that location? I know the last time I've seen attendance at this level was back uh, when you had the CIAA and the member North Carolina A&T uh, playing against Central out of the CIAA. And then you had two other CIAA schools, including Johnson C. Smith, that was played on MLK weekend that was played in a uh, professional arena. They got up to 10, 11,000 folks in that event. Uh, so I'm curious about that January, February timeframe. What is the magic uh, that seems to make that work? Obviously, you're talking about significant basketball areas that take basketball serious. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about what that looks like. And I'm also curious just in terms of uh, the New York, New Jersey area in terms of their hunger 
for HBCU athletics. I mean, this is historic. This goes back to Grambling and, and Morgan State and, and Yankee Stadium. And you, you bring it uh, uh, 50, 60 years forward uh, to this Invesco QQQ uh, Legacy Classic. And it, it makes you wonder about uh, the thirst for uh, HBCU athletics in, in uh, New York, New Jersey. Yep. Then you have to, if you want to tie in football, as you talk about the legacy there, you most recently you still have yeah. uh, Morehouse and Howard playing in the classic that has a really solid attendance with over mm-hmm. 30 some thousand individuals. So you're absolutely right. You know, I'm curious in terms of regionality, time of the year, all those kind of things. And so got to kind of find a way to pinpoint that. So mm-hmm. as much as I do research on the celebration bowl, looks like I'm going to have to put my head in there and find out what's going on with the QQQ legacy classic because it is certainly a hot ticket out there with that being said i'd be remiss if i didn't give bowling some shout out particularly to women southern women claims bowling regular season title out of the swat southern jaguar team claimed the 2024 southwestern athletic conference regular season that is back to back for them as they're getting it done southern concluded regular season play with the 16 and 5 league record jaguars under the direction of head coach barry Doyle claimed back-to-back titles on Sunday at the SWAC East Roundup. Southern was led by Jalen Rogers, uh, Nyla Wilson, and freshman standout Jeremiah Bolden, who each finished in the top 10 of the final individual rankings. The 2024 SWAC Bowling Tournament is set to be held March 2022nd and through the 24th in Arlington, Texas at the Bowling ITCRC. So it'll be fascinating to see who comes back with the conference title uh, in terms of what that looks like. I do have a bit of point that I got to shout out. My man, K.J. Black, yeah, former quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, Prairie m University, and with the uh, rest of the team and Dr. Henry Frazier III. Uh, a lot of coaches were involved in getting it done. Uh, Northern uh, was out there, defensive coordinator, uh, putting in their uh, work. Um, and so uh, a lot of people off that tree are putting in work too. But KJ Black from HBCU Game Day, Atlanta Falcons had former HBCU star coach KJ Black. He told me he was interviewing, so I certainly was sending up prayers, but he did in the work. KJ Black will be joining the Falcons football staff under Raheem Morris. If you've been under the moon, he was recently uh, hired as the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Black spent the last two seasons. As an assistant with the Los Angeles Rams, working with the team's quarterback, along with Zach Robinson, he joined the Rams after participating with the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship in 2022. Black spent seasons at FAMU, as you know, under Coach Willie Simmons, 2019-2021. Helped FAMU win 18 games in those two seasons. The FAMU passing game improved 232.9 passing yards per game in 2018 to 291. Point one passing yards per game in 2019. Black's first season with the quarterback, Ryan Stanley. Additionally, team's passing efficiency improved from 128.6 to 148.5. You can tell his talents. As I said before that, he coached at Prairie View and brought home that 2009 SWAC championship in a 30-24 win over Alabama A&M. Was named MVP of the game. He passed for 4,187 yards and 35 touchdowns in two years with the program before going to play professionally. The oddity that faces with me, which is one of those uh, trivia questions, 
KJ Black was part of, you know, those seasons where they had winning, winning the championship. But you know, in those two years where he played for Prairie View, he never uh, defeated Texas Southern University. Interesting. The key wow. thing is, the key thing is, is Prairie View won both of those games. He never lost. Let me get that right now. He never lost. He never started in those games. The first year, he didn't come into that third game where he played New Mexico and almost beat them. And he mm. started the rest of the way. And then the, uh, his final year, he actually got hurt in the offseason, and they held him out in that game to make sure that he was healthy as possible for the rest of the year. And they still got it done. So he can't say that he did that. Of many but, things he did, uh, but, he was on the roster, but he but his, got on the field. His face adorns the stadium, though. <laughs> <laughs> his other teammate, Whedon. Has now officially been the offensive name, the offensive coordinator, Prairie A&M under Bubba McDowell. So he was formerly, as you know, uh, the years with Jackson State and Camel getting a lot of that accolades. He was the offensive coordinator over there at Camel Camels. So mm. I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. A lot of people at Prairie View excited and quietly been pushing, wishing that to take place. You know, people always get excited when uh, former football players, particularly the p- individual that did as well as those two did uh, coming together. So fascinating to see what that looked look like. KJ helped beat JSU in the State Fair Classic in 2009, which had not been done in forever uh, mm-hmm. at that time. So good stuff. Uh, good stuff there. With that, let's take our break. We'll come back on the other side, get into some more basketball talk. We'll talk about the top five, major division for the women. We'll see what Charles says about my top five. There's some changes. There's some changes. Or maybe not. We'll see. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. If you think all pads are exactly the same, think again. This is always ultra thin's reinvented with the always triple protection system. This pad wicks gushes 90% faster, absorbs even more so you can feel dry, and locks odors in. Rethink your pad for up to 100% leak-free and odor-free comfort with the totally reinvented always ultra thin's. This is always like never before. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, My colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay. Call Cuvay. As technology continues to bring changes to the world of education, it's time we also reimagine teacher professional development. Gone are the days of one-size-fits-all learning that can only be accessed at a specific time and place. The Stride PD Center is an on-demand library of mobile-friendly courses that allow educators to learn anytime and anywhere. Our dynamic courses provide bite-sized learning and help educators advance their knowledge while also gaining professional development hours. The best professional development plans are those that include a level of flexibility and choice for educators. Whether you're a teacher, school, or district, visit us today to take charge of your learning. We're back. It's time for the 2024 Urban NerdCon. Join us in Atlanta, Georgia, April 26th through the 28th at 
the Cortland Grand Hotel. Special guests include Underworld creator Kevin Grievous, Gary Gray from Fairly Odd Parents, from Nickelodeon, Giovanni Samuels, the Science Machine Michael Green, the Sci Fi Sisters, and from Spaceballs and Star Trek Voyager, Tim Russ. Hi, I'm Tim Russ. Join me April 26th through the 28th at the Cortland Grand Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia for the Urban Nerd Con. Our heroes, our villains, our stories, everyone con. I'll see you there. Live long and prosper. Visit TheUrbanNerdCon.net to get your buy one, get one free badges before the price increases. Remember, our heroes, our villains, our stories, everyone's con. See? Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot, yeah. And who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Mike is out on assignment, <laughs> but I have none of Charles. Charles, what got you so excited there and laughing? I, I got a lot of texts like uh, the Urban Nerd Con, Tim Russ, and uh, the various individuals at the Nerd, Urban, Urban, Urban Nerd Con. Check it out. <laughs> when is it? I, I, I've been looking at the commercial for, for so long, I don't forgot the dates on it or when it's happened. So. <laughs> Hey man, we excited about the urban nerd. Yeah, exactly. You ain't never got into all that nerdy stuff. You know you used to dress up. Oh, oh, I'm full of nerdy stuff. I'm full of nerdy stuff. It's it's just I got texts about it just then, so it was uh, pretty fun. <laughs> caught, caught you getting into it. <laughs> With that being said, let's get into the women's uh major division poll rankings in week number five. No changes in the top five. I wanted to tease it out and Make sure I was clear with that. Nobody dropped out, but there are some changes. Teams losing votes, mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see what that looks like. Since there was no one dropping out, let's get into those receiving votes. Howard Bison, eight and thirteen, five and two. They won two big ball games this past weekend. Playing some really good basketball, getting it done. Uh, they had a victory over Maryland Eastern Shore, fifty-two to forty-seven. That was on Saturday. Come back on Monday and get a win over Delaware State, 69-57. So they continue to kind of bounce black. They have a record in conference play at 5-2, and two, which has them a game behind, if you would, Norfolk State, uh, and tied in a three-way tie with North Carolina Central and Cobbin State. So as we get halfway through the season, at seven games, fascinating to see what the next seven games look like to see who mm-hmm. comes out on top. Uh, but with that being said, let's get into the top five programs. As we said, these teams are being very consistent, so they are staying in the top five, uh, particularly on the women's side, starting with Grambling State Tigers, 12-8, and 6-3. and three. You did have a loss uh, to Grambling as they face Jackson State, which you certainly could understand what that came through in terms of the momentum that took place there. That was on Saturday while the men were up in Newark, yet the women at home getting it done. Jackson State wins that game 71-63. to 63. But they back up and go down to Gramlin. I mean, Alcorn on Monday, and they get a big win. So they at 12 and 8, 6 and 3 in the conference race, looking really good in terms of how things are showing up for them in terms of the conference race. Uh, they are three games back of Jackson State, one game behind Arkansas Pine Bluff that has gotten hot and late, but they're in that top four 
when you talk about what that looks like and you want to get into that top two, three seeds uh, going in the tournament. Right now they hold that, see what it looks like. Again, as they play nine games, first half of the conference race is over for them. We'll see what Charles thinks about that in the overall totality of the ranking as well as that midway point. At number four, UAPB Golden Lions, 12 and 10, 7 and 2. Kind of stuff they told early in the conference yeah. and people were surprised. Yeah. But it certainly looks like they've right, right in the ship now. They've won four straight, playing some really good basketball, including a big win as they had to make up that game in Prairie View where they really uh, beat up on Prairie View well, winning over 30 points in that matchup. Uh, bringing us to number three, Norfolk State Spartans, 16 and 5, 5 and 1. One person plays vote, 62 points uh, as they are number three. They add a first play vote, vote this week as they continue to roll and get it done. At number two, North Carolina AT State Aggies, 14, 6, 8, and 1. They get a first place vote this week, 74 points. They have won eight straight and are really playing some good basketball in the Coastal uh, Athletic Association, getting it done. Bringing us to number one, Jackson State Tigers, 14-6, 9-0. We always hear about Jackson State and Southern in terms of rival. Oftentimes, that's on the gridiron. But we know uh, it's just as big, particularly in baseball. Uh, but we closely find it out, for those that have been under a rock, it really doesn't matter what sport Tilly Winks, particularly basketball, is there too. Jackson State down big at the halftime. But a flurry in the third quarter finds the ability for them to come back from behind at home and get it done on that Monday night. So they improved the 14-6, and 9-0. But I think uh, that halftime score shocked a lot of folks who paid attention. At least one voter obviously uh, took away uh, actually two voters as they were all eight last week. Uh, lost two votes, one to the Aggies of North Carolina A&T and one to the women of Norfolk State. Spartans. Uh, so, Charles, a lot going there. Not teams dropping out, but mixing around at some degree. Mm. The biggest note of this week is the fact that Jackson State remains number one, but they lose first place votes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it was a tougher weekend than expected for Jackson State. Uh, they a little bit of a dogfight there with Gramlin. Uh, Gramlin right there uh, ended uh, at halftime with Jackson State before Jackson State kind of put their foot on the gas in the, in the uh, third and four quarters, but I, that, I thought the the eyes of Monday night were going to catch Jackson State this past Monday because I caught the score, and I looked and I was like, "Wait a second, that's Southern's winning," and it was thirty two seventeen and a half, and I, I think at one point it was fifty to thirty four, but uh, championship melt uh, that said something to me. Jackson State outscored Southern twenty nine to eight in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't know what was said between the third and fourth quarters, but I'm sure Coach Tamika Reed has some pretty choice words in terms of uh, what she wanted to see out of that team, and Jackson State was able to get the win. Uh, another team, very impressive, uh, North Carolina A&T. They won eight in a row. They've opened up a little bit of a uh, room there in the CAA uh, uh, in terms of what they were able to do. So uh, you, you give kudos to uh, North Carolina A&T. Big win over Northeastern, 72-49. to 49, And – what jumped out at me that game, they shot 50% from the floor. Uh, so they're really getting it done in terms of uh, week in, week out in, in, in the CAA. So uh, those are the two teams that really uh, caught my eye this past week. Of course, uh, you mentioned UAPB. 
they're starting to look like they're round in the form. Uh, Zay Green, another huge game uh, last night. Uh, and, and going to Purview on the road, that's a makeup game uh, last night, but uh, UAPB was able to get it done. Going to Purview, anytime you go out there, it's a tough, tough atmosphere. Uh, UAPB made it look easy last night. Good stuff. Before we go to this uh, next break, I, I, I love the point that you made because um, when you had that halftime score, as you said, 32 to 17, and a big part of that was in that second quarter where they were outscored 25 to 7. To come back, you're going to need a fourth quarter, like you mentioned, 28, 29 to 8. And so uh, fascinating as they were basically even in the third, 18 to 17. So three quarters, Southern was getting it done, but uh, certainly – uh, was intriguing about what that looked like in terms of that. Um, good points when you talk about North Carolina A&T. Uh, they're tied for first place in the Colonial. I'm yeah. fascinating about that matchup that comes in uh, March the 3rd where you have A&T traveling to Stony Brook. That's going to yeah, be that's the gonna only be a goal. they have of the year yeah. uh, in terms of it. They only play once, so uh, it may be the deciding factor of what that looks like. Both teams have one loss in terms of standing, and the closest team behind them are Monmouth, uh, College of Charleston, as well, as well as William & Mary, which are both, all three of them, I should say, are two games back. So keep our eyes on the Aggies. Uh, the ladies down there in North Carolina are getting it done. Two straight 20-point victories for North Carolina A&T, uh, uh, Lady Aggie. So uh, that's huge. Getting it done. With that being said, let's take our next break and turn the page and get into the major division for the men. Itchy. Squirmy. Scratchy. Family not getting clean. Get Charmin Ultra Strong. Go get them. It just cleans better. With a diamond weave texture, your family can use less while still getting clean. Goodbye, itchy squirm. Hello, clean bottom. <laughs> <laughs> we all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? At Hampton Law, our primary goal is to provide non-traditional yet effective solutions and redefine the approach to client legal concerns. As your trusted legal advisor, we believe in sophisticated, personalized services that eliminate the confusion and complexity sometimes associated with legal matters. Our high standard for client care and concern, coupled with our extensive legal knowledge and skills, make Hampton Law a resource focused on the protection of the client's interest and overall goals. We value our clients and truly enjoy working with them. Visit thamptonlaw.com to conveniently schedule an appointment online. Tamika Hampton Esquire. 1631 Rock Springs Road, Suite 336, Apopka, Florida, 407-494-1471. thamptonlaw.com. Nope. Nope. Want him? Ooh, I like him. The Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the Quicker Picker Upper. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. 
Slow Burn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge, featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. When it comes to professional learning, teachers deserve better. From the leader in online learning, Stride brings you the Stride Professional Development Center, an on-demand library of mobile-friendly courses that gives teachers choice and flexibility, allowing them to learn anytime and anywhere. Our dynamic courses provide bite-sized learning and help educators advance their knowledge while also gaining professional development hours. It's time you take charge of your Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot yeah. And who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor Yesler yes, and pay attention because he gon' teach a lesson. Yes. Man, shout out to Roy with the little remix back there going on, man. Talking about 50 years of hip hop, 50 plus one. Go ahead, Roy. I like that. Nice mix you did in there. Welcome. To the show, A.D. Drew, how's it going? You on mute? I'm doing fine. How y'all gentlemen doing today? I apologize for not uh, checking my email and seeing that uh, this was a, a, a coach show. As uh, my, I left my sport blazer in the uh, other room, <laughs> but I, I apologize about that, fellas. Don't uh, don't penalize me on that. I'm I'm I'm, I'm hooded up and everything, but. Uh, I'm still here, man. No problem. You're perfect for the occasion. We'll make sure that the uh, drinks are on you since uh, you didn't follow the rules of attire. That'll be your punishment. But I think we can make it. You man, you man, you worse these women spending my money before I get it, Doctor Cavill. <laughs> hey, that's one doctor, one thing Doctor Cavill can do. Ask Charles. <laughs> ask Let's get into the top five major division on the men's side. Want to get your thoughts on this, Drew. We had a team that dropped out, so we'll break that down and give you that information. Certainly want to see what Charles said. Charles agreed with the women, so no harm, no foul there. We won't even uh, give you that, Drew, because we want to make sure we keep that clean. Since I'm winning, I'm winning. We'll see if that remains the case at the major division for the men. With that being said, dropping out this week was actually Alabama State. Uh, as the Alabama State Hornets drop out at 11-11, 6-3. And they also were receiving votes. Alabama stays in the mix to receive votes. Um, They have uh, the win, and that should be, excuse me, Delaware State dropped out this week, and Grandma State dropped out uh, uh, as they were getting things done in terms of all the mix there. Uh, Receiving votes are actually in the mix. Grandma State and Delaware State, as they stay in the mix, uh, throwing up. That's a little update from last week. I should say that Alabama State dropped out and Alabama State Hornets are receiving votes. Even though they won two games, they couldn't quite get in the five in terms of what's going on. Let's get in the top five and see what's in the mix there. Grandma State Tigers, they're hot. Tied for the top with Southern. 10-12, and 12, 7 268, 68 points. They were not ranked, but they're in the mix Getting it done at number five. Let's bring the number four. This is where it gets interesting. Mm. Tennessee State Tigers. They were formerly number one, but we will get to do number one this week. You find out very early, but Tennessee State drops all the way from number one all the way to four. 13 and 10, six and four. They do still hold two first place votes of 74 points. 
At number three, Norfolk State Spartans, 15 and nine, five and two. Two first place votes, 88 points. They remain at the three spot. They had a win and then a major upset that threw a lot of people off, but not to be undone. Number two, North Carolina Central, after they went on Saturday, as they were cruising, were in a big matchup that just didn't go their way as they lose as well. 13 and nine, five and two, two first place votes, 97 points. They still remain at number two, but your new number one, jumping all the way up from the fourth spot, is the Southern Jaguars, 12 and nine, mm. seven and two. They stumped. Uh, they had a little bit that second week in the swag, but they've been rolling ever since, uh, playing really good basketball, getting it done. They've won four straight games, including a big win over Jackson State on the road. Got a real tough one. All corner went down to the buzzer, getting it done, but quietly. Southern Jaguars are 12 and 9, 7 and 2. Different coach, different players, but last year they started off really hot. Question for a lot of folks at the midway mark, can they find a way to hold on? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Texas Southern seems like they're coming in the mix, playing some really basketball. They sit at 6-3, 8-12 overall, just outside of those top seven rankings. But they've won three straight, including a big win over Prairie View. Thing that I'm looking at, Texas Southern, I kind of teased this out to Charles yesterday as we watching and texting, getting updates and getting prepared. For the show, Texas Southern has five of their last nine games at home, yeah. including against the two teams holding on the top spots, Grambling and Southern. So I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. Really ahead of ourselves, but let's get back focused in terms of those top five programs. Interesting to see uh, what AD Drew, I'm going to let you start it off. What are your thoughts in terms of the top five? Let me look at my phone and see what the calendar says. It's February. You know, February, Super Bowl is now in February. Usually February is also the month that we start to see clarity when it comes to our conference standings in basketball when it comes to ACC. Not in our COVID year, uh, Dr. Cavill. Not in our COVID year because I, I, see, I see a bunch of teams, when I look at the total standings, both SWAC and MEAC, I see a bunch of teams jumbled up yeah. in the swag. Everybody, with the exception of Florida A&M and Mississippi Valley State, is in the mix and can realistically get on a hot streak and win the regular season crown. And when you go over to the uh, over to the MEAC, pretty much the same thing. Everybody except Maryland Eastern Shore and Thompson State is within, a th- within three games and within shouting distance of being able to overtake the top spot. You know, this is a schedule flip, so everybody partially controls their own destiny. As far as your top five, Dr. Kavir, I I love the diversity of your top five. Got two SPAC, two MEAC, and and our OVC team. But the one thing I don't like is the fact that one of the teams that we have in here is upside down on this season, that being Grambling State, but you got to respect that 72 that's in that's in conference. So that that makes up for them uh starting off upside down and still being upside down at this point in February. So Dr. Ludacris, and I call you Dr. Ludacris because all you do is win. You say you won on the first one. I think you actually won 
on this men's poll also, Dr. Cavill. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Dr. Ludacris, because I always win. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Charles, what are your thoughts? Uh, this is setting up for a very topsy-turvy tournament, whether you're looking at the SWAT tournament or the MIAC tournament. Uh, just looking at the standings right now, especially in the SWAT. Uh, the top two teams, they have a couple losses on the ledger. Uh, but you're taking a look at Alabama State, Texas Southern, both 6-3 and three in conference play. Then there's another tier, you know, where Arkansas Pine Bluff, Bethune Cookman, they're five and four, so they're above 500. But all have played decent ball and all have had some head scratching losses. Uh, and the same thing, you know, when I flip over and look at the, at the MIAC, uh, where everybody is bunched bunch right beside each other from Norfolk State at five and two in the conference, North, North Carolina Central five and two in the conference, then Howard and Morgan State and South Carolina State, all four and three right there in the conference. So, I mean, you really can't get a good grasp on a team that's sort of separating themselves. Uh, kudos to Southern. Uh, huge wins going to Alcorn on the road, getting the W. Jackson State, get get the W against Jackson State without the leading scorer, Terry and Joseph. That was a huge win last night for us, the Southern Jaguars. And they're doing it with defense. Uh, you're talking about uh, Southern in the top three, I believe, in total defense in the sweat. Uh, along right there with Grambling. So uh, they're playing some great basketball, and it's uh, February 6th. Let's see if uh, who can start to kind of separate themselves here after Super Bowl Sunday. But but will they separate themselves, or will this be one of those seasons where it really is going to depend on that matchup when you get to, when you get to the tournament site? I mean, because, you know, everybody talks about that, that – the Texas two-step, but the uh, but that beach swing has gotten a couple of teams this year also. I mean, you know, when, when teams have to do uh, fam and Bethune, yeah, in the swag, in the swag, and then the Miac is just it's not Miacish. It's just it's Miac basketball. That's the best thing. Miac basketball. Yeah, a lot of good teams. Yeah, a lot of good teams. And anybody, it, it, it pretty much in the Miac, anybody could beat anybody on any given night, with the exception of, you know, th that bottom tier. So, is, is it going to be about matchups uh, a month from now? You know, some I, I teams think, gonna want to stay away from each other. I think your point is really valid, uh, both of y'all. When you think about the swag, you look at the top eight, ten teams. Uh, uh, if you look at those teams at the bottom and you have a gluttony of um, five sitting and they're just three games back, uh, other than FAMU and Valley that are five and seven, you know, you can have a good run and a tough loss there and you can go from being three games back in a weekend and be just one game back, uh, depending on what happens at the top of the conference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly talking about getting in those top four seeds, that is nowhere close to being over with. Then you go to the MEAC uh, where you mentioned Drew, uh, you can go to top eight, uh, even Coppin State in terms of the men's side. They're four games back. Uh, but, yeah, you look at uh, Morgan State, Howard, South Carolina State, that are three-way tied. They're just one game back. You go a little further, step further with Delaware State, and we see how well they play and their margin for even when they lose, they're getting uh, tough matchups. They're just two games back. So even though there's seven games to be played in the MEAC, man, it's a lot that can take place. And we've seen teams uh, win against uh, very tough teams, but we saw also teams lose. Some teams that you would look up and normally you probably would scratch your head. So I agree with you. Both of these 
teams on the men's side, extremely deep. It would be fascinating what you're going to say. I do want to ask this quick question before we take this last break and kind of spin it. I want to look at some a couple of teams, and you tell me uh, midterm grades. We're going to do it like that. What would you give uh, Grambling State uh, in terms of their midterm grade? They sit at ten and twelve overall, seven and two. Uh, Charles, what are your what? How are you grading Grambling at this point? Uh, Grambling at this juncture in the season. I would give them a, a, a solid B plus. I mean, I did not particularly see uh, Bramlin being in that, in that first tier uh, of teams uh, going into uh, the season. But the impressive thing about them, they got a one, two, three, four-game win streak. Uh, Pine Bluff comes in, bloodies their nose a little bit, but they're able to pick things back up, another two-game win streak. So, uh, you know, out of their last nine games, I believe, they're eight, uh, eight nine. So, they're – they're, they're, they're solid B plus for Grandma. I thought he said a C plus. I, I'm glad he said the B plus. I was getting nervous. I was like, man, he just took some of his grading from the classroom <laughs> <laughs> on the streets. He's serious about that. Hey, did Drew Gramlin, what are you grading? In? I'm I'm B B to B minus, uh, because they get they get an A on their bid term. The seventy two in conference. But it's like you you do you do you do good on the test, Doctor Cavill, but you're not turning in your home your dog on homework and get and get these easy. <laughs> That's what Gramlin reminds me of. Because when you go three and three and ten in nine conference, you know I, I've got I've got to take that into account. And I've got to penalize you for going three and ten nine conference. You know I don't expect you to come in. I don't expect any of our Division One HBCUs to come in with a winning record, but I expect you to at least be close to the Mendoza line, with a shouting distance of five hundred. Three and ten, nine conference. I have to mark you off for that. So I'm marking them off for not doing their homework and turning it. They, they, they did it. They just forgot to turn it in, Doctor Gavir. That's what it looks like. That student right there. Biggest save for Grambling. They got a seventeen point win over the number one team right now in the conference. Yeah. yeah, that was big. And I, was like, I, I can't, I can't they get, get an A Delaware State lost out of my mouth. Mm. Delaware State has played well, but still, it just, I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't reconcile what took place there. And I got a chance to watch that game later. Yeah, uh, neutral court game. Up on HBCU Go, and it just was weird. Let's switch over to the MEAC. Give some love there real quick. I want to look at North Carolina Central. Obviously, they're tied with Norfolk State, just like Grambling State with Southern. But Charles, what are you? How are you grading North Carolina Central this year? They are thirteen and nine overall, five and two in the conference race. B plus. I, th- I think they're they're solid. I think they're a solid team. Uh, I didn't see the loss at South Carolina State. That caught me off guard. Uh, then, of course, you have last night against Morgan State. Uh, but they've been a solid team for the most part. When you take a look at uh, the breadth of who they play, uh, if I went back into uh, non-conference play, got a win at Campbell, uh, which was impressive. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I got the robbery win over a got, got the robbery win over a I think they're a solid B+. Plus. 
And they also have a win over Norfolk State as you looked at them tied. Yeah, that was at home. Day win. Was a close yeah. matchup, but it was a big win. Eddie mm-hmm. Drew, what is your grade for North Carolina Central? I concur. I think a B plus and Charles. I really can't knock too much off with them losing to Morgan State and uh and South Carolina State because mm. those two teams are one game behind them in the standings. So right, exactly. I, I really I really can't I can't I can't knock, knock too much off of yeah, I gotta knock a point or two off of you because L, but but you still get a, a, a 97 on your assignment because you, you lost to a to a good team if if they're four and three at this point, they're one game behind you. Uh, evidently, you lost to a good team. But we're talking about Central here, Coach Coach Mouton. We 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 know that w- what he does over there. We know come tournament time, that team is going to be a tough out for somebody if they don't win it all. And I I, I would just love to see them and and Coach Jones over there at Norfolk in the championship. Oh, let me ask, man. Ooh, that would be another classic. Long as those two teams stay on the opposite side of the bracket, I think everything is going to be all right. Yeah, that would be fascinating to see what that looks like. Interesting the grade of Southern Jaguars, new coach, Norfolk State. We can go in that. Maybe some teams, South Carolina State, like you said, that loss Central early, that first loss. At first you were kind of scratching your head, but now you're starting to see that South Carolina State is nothing to play with. So I'm glad that you brought up that point. With that being said, let's get in our next break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to talk a little bit about the NRB or talk about the partnership. I know that people don't want to say the Lions Advisory Committee, whatever you want to put it, between the SEC and the Big Ten. But we're going to look at it in terms of how it may affect HBCU programs at the Division One level. So we'll let Charles get in put on his – Cap, ask questions. I'll respond. See if Drew has a question regarding that, and I'll answer it as well. Stick with us. We'll be back after this last break. We're back. It's time for the 2024 Urban NerdCon. Join us in Atlanta, Georgia, April 26th through the 28th at the Cortland Grand Hotel. Special guests include Underworld creator Kevin Grievous, Gary Gray from Barely Odd Parents, from Nickelodeon, Giovanni Samuels, the Science Machine, Michael Green, the Sci-Fi Sisters, and from Spaceballs and Star Trek Voyager, Tim Russ. Hi, I'm Tim Russ. Join me April 26th through the 28th at the Cortland Grand Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia for the Urban Nerd Con. Our heroes, our villains, our stories, everyone con. I'll see you there. Live long and prosper. Visit TheUrbanNerdCon.net to get your buy one, get one free badges before the price increases. Remember, our heroes, our villains, our stories, everyone's con. See- you can press the analytic data with your hip-hop. If you know them like I know them, they're going to tell you if your team, if they want to love yeah, and who the so listen to Professor yes, sir, yes, sir. and pay attention because he's going to teach a lesson. Yes. This is Dr. Bill inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Mike Washington is out on assignment, so we have none other than A.D. Drew. I'm going to pass the mic over to Charles and let him introduce this segment and let him do his thing as we get into a little dialogue and discussion on this Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, two big things in terms of news with regards to college athletics. 
uh, this past week. Uh, basically had the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, they formed an advisory group uh, in terms of uh, basically more or less saying we're not going to wait on congressional action. We're about to start figuring this thing out in terms of uh, whatever this changing economic model looks like. So uh, that was one thing. The other thing happened uh, just the other day where the NLRB uh, regional board uh, basically uh, – uh, they ruled that Dartmouth men's basketball players are employees of the college. Uh, two seismic things that happened uh, in college athletics this week. And I'm sure a lot of my class will be tuning in now because this is something that we had on the table with regards to what exactly they're living in a, a very unprecedented time in terms of the changing face of college athletics. But as always, the question boils down to what does this mean for HBC athletics? And we'll take the first one. Uh, where we take a look at basically the Big Ten and the SEC doc, uh, basically forming this advisory committee. Uh, what does that mean? And what is sort of the coded message that they're sending out uh, to college athletics? I know a lot of folks have like jump on this train and talk about the fact that this is the end of an NCA. I really cannot see that, particularly until 2036. Um, and that's just one contract. That's the NCAA basketball contract. One of the things that makes it really challenging for these institutions uh, to move out of here and leave, if you would, the NCAA is all the television contracts and how uh, they are elongated and how they would affect. So I think this one is less likely to affect um, the HBCU programs at the FCS Division One level, uh, particular in terms of football unless you see the continued desire to go to the FBS level where we had to talk out of there, I think that becomes a little harder. And the reason I say that is not just as an advisory group, but one of the things that we've seen them kind of come together is the fact when the ACC added SMU, well, you also know they added Stanford and California, which were already what we refer to as the power five schools. So they were getting their allotment of money uh, from the championship tournaments, the playoffs, CFP, right? And that was about $6 million. People may not realize that the G5, right, they were also getting money, but it was only about a million dollars. Well, it came into question whether not only was SMU in trouble not getting the one million, it might not get any million. And they thought they were going to get that money. They had deferred the money from the television revenue of ACC, uh, which was able to get them into the league. But it just came out that uh, they will get some money, but it will not be the $6 million um, over this period of time. And so the good thing for them is just for this two-year period. So if they can fix this conundrum they have with the playoffs about extending where it looks like uh, the ESPN is going to seek to have an eight-year contract, six additional years to these two last year. But the problem you have is with Washington – and being on Washington State, I should say that is part of the remaining two of the Pac-12 along with Oregon State. That president is on that committee, and they're not voting to expand. So you see this wrestling match. So it's not only about the governing rules of the NCA; it's also about the CFP. And ultimate, what you heard me talk most about is the money. Who's going to get the money? Last thing I'll leave you with and let you know that this is about the money, but to show you exactly where. 80% of the money that comes from the contracts for the CFP 
goes to the Power Five institutions. Mm -mm. What you see the SEC and the Big Ten wanting to do is that if they expanded their conference, they don't want to split the money evenly. They want more of that money. So this is part of a tactic to show the power they have to try to control the CFP. In addition to that is the fact that they want to be able to start deciding how they're going to govern athletics. Even though they have a lot of power, this is about them having even more power. And I bring all that up in a long way to say that HBCUs, unfortunately, didn't have a lot of power in this dynamic. So it's hard uh, to have a problem when you didn't have much seat at the table. It's not like they can take another seat away from you. They might take it away from somebody else, but you wasn't there already. So I don't see it being a large impediment to HBCU program. Drew, you want to follow up with a question on that? You're on mute. One of the things I've been curious about, especially with this Big Ten SEC kind of lack of a better words, trying to show their force and possibly break out and do their own thing. What about the bottom dwellers in those conferences? We all know that there are, depending on which sports you're talking about, there are some bottom dwellers in uh, in those conferences. We are, football, you're talking to Vanderbilt, you're talking to uh, Kentucky, uh, you know, you're possibly talking to Purdue in uh, fo uh, football in the Big Ten, you know. What about those teams? Are they going to once we, if they get if they get what they want and they get to separate? Now, are they going to say the Alabamas and the Georgias, since y'all are the uh, big names, and the Michigans and Ohio States, y'all get a bigger pot of this pot that we just that we just separated from over here because y'all the ones who are always in the playoffs and in the championship game, and we can get rid of the Vanderbilts and uh, other people like that, or do we keep do they keep those people around because? You know, you got to have a Virginia Lynchburg to beat <laughs> using the HBCU uh, vernacular. And I like those GPAs uh, with those bottom dwellers, too. Oh, I love the GPAs. <laughs> uh, no, no, did I say Northwestern? Uh, Charles, did, did I say, academic today. Did uh, I say I, Northwestern, Charles? I bet you said Northwestern. Yeah, hey, you probably <laughs> need to throw Northwestern in there. Yeah, I want to push this out with Emmett in regards to he hopes that HBCUs can get some of that money. Man, you talking man. about some of that CFP money, you can forget it. Oddly enough, people didn't realize that with the BCS championship series, remember those days? That's kind of a long iteration ago. Actually, the FCF schools actually got a pot of money. At the time, it was one about a half a million dollars that went to the conference, and the conference split that in their distribution money, however they split it. When they formed the CFP, which gives you an indication that these Folks like all the money. They don't want to give a share of nothing, little if anything. They actually took that out of the equation. So the FCS schools don't get any money. I used to call it hush money. That They would play nice, and they wouldn't talk bad about them. They would give them some money. They don't even give them hush money anymore. They just tell them, get out of the way. So I don't know. It's going to be strong, uh, challenging. And to move up into this, you see how they just did SMU. So this takes a major wrinkle in regards to going to the power five of trying to get into that mix. 
So I'm concerned with that. But back to the other part of A.D. Drew's question as he got into asking the framework of how this may affect the smaller institutions that are not very popular in football. The biggest thing they have is some of those institutions like Kentucky tend to be a little better in basketball. But the unique thing about the SEC, and you've seen this about the Big Ten, unlike what you saw in the Big 12, what you're seeing now in ACC, where they created models where the programs that had more brand uh, imagery and a bigger brand name, Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma, and even Nebraska at the time in the Big 12 before two of those schools left, they used to have a larger percentage calculation. Mm -hmm. You see that now in the ACC with Clemson and – Florida State is they're trying to find out a way to get a bigger piece of the pie. That's when you can start having the concerns where a conference was um, eventually fall apart, I would think. Mm. The unique thing about the SEC, they see the value in the school. That's different from us fans, if you would, that have a problem with that. That's the same thing we see the talk, bring it back to HBCUs. You always have that question about Mississippi Valley State in regards to they be somewhere else. And I think as fans, that's some valid discussion, but it's way that the president see that. Even you see that with the MEAC previously with those schools that were just playing basketball. Folks had some concerns and saying maybe they should go somewhere else. Obviously, with other schools leaving, you've seen the value of those schools staying in the conference. Mm-hmm. You'll score that. But the same thing with the SWAC. The larger number of what the overall 12 teams bring brings – more value overall in the negotiating deals than if you jettison and left them away. So I think we're away, away from the super programs in football, finding a way to come together. Again, this is, in my opinion, is not about leaving the NCAA. That's just talk that like people like to put out there because it gets hits, but I can't do it. I'm going to tell you how I really see it in terms of what the numbers are. It's just too much money involved to try to jettison. It's, again, about finding a way to squeeze more blood from that turnip. So instead of having 80% SEC in the Big Ten, they want 85, 87, uh, maybe 90% of that money, right? And so the other folks will have to figure their way with less money. And so that gap will become bigger, but I don't see them leaving the NCAA Again, the biggest thing out there is the billion dollars from the basketball money. They're not just going to give that away, and they can't easily get out of that contract. Uh, but here's one that has probably a little bit more effect from my perspective, uh, and that was uh, the National Labor Relations Board uh, Regional Director just, just this past Monday ordered uh, union election for the men's basketball team at Dartmouth concluded that athletes are employees of, of the college within the meaning of the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, I had a lot of students ask today, "Does what does that mean for us playing here in the SWAC? Are SWAC athletes able to unionize now? I think that's going to be a little more interesting. Uh, it's a ways off. You have some iterations, probably a year or two away. Um, but if you take this in a more global approach, when Northwestern put it out there, you know, it rang a lot of folks and scared a lot of folks. They won the first level. If people remember, they were defied at the appellate level, and they encumbered the votes, and nobody knew what they actually voted for, whether they supported it or not. 
So that was intriguing for the first thing. But at that time, I don't think the country, certainly the legal framework was not there. But you're starting to see the NCAA lose a lot, even at the Supreme Court level. So I think the appetite, particularly for the legal system, is more supportive than ever that this becomes realistic. One last thing I'll put out there, the the there is a lady that was involved in part of the three judges that um, did the case at Northwestern. She was in favor and saw them as employees. Well, guess what? As time has changed, it's my understanding that she has risen all the way up to number two in charge of the overall NRA association. She's number two. And they say that she has even stronger convictions than she did at that time about college <laughs> athletes being employees. So that's something that you can consider. Now, the unique thing is you know that they're very, very strategic. They went to two private schools. They went to Northwestern first. They're over there doing some stuff at USC in the Pac-12, and now they're at Dartmouth. So there's a strategic plan that they're having charging private schools, which is easier to make the case. But if they make the case there, then the next part is the public schools. Um, there is some wiggle room in there, but most people believe if they can get this case approved at the private schools, eventually it will go to the public schools. Quickly, some of the things that you would consider if this all comes to pass, the more important question is, what does this mean in terms of athletes? Could they unionize? Yes. What does it mean if they unionize? They would obviously form a union, meaning they have a voting structure, they have more say, which allows them to pick it. We've already seen that in the SWAC. We go back to the history with Gramlin and some other mm-hmm. indications. So that's not far-fetched. Uh, leafletting, meaning they pass out leaflets about how their working conditions are, and they can't be uh, dealt negatively effective for doing that. And finally, they could go on strike. Uh, we haven't really seen that from the athletic standpoint. We've seen boycotts. Some people will talk about Wildcats, which we kind of seen from the NBA. But a full-on fledged strike, we hadn't seen that. That's fascinating, and you're certainly talking about the unionization of that. But that's the kind of thing. And, yes, ultimately that could sip down into HBCUs, and then you get in some more questions where we'll probably come back and dig a little deeper into uh, bargaining power, terms of employment, what does that look like? Really you're talking about minimum wage. Uh, so in a lot of ways what you already have out there is, you know, graduate students that get paid, you're talking about something of that level, not significant dollars as you would see at the Power Five. But but but, but question, and, and if it plays out, what does it mean for stakeholders, uh, t- season ticket holders? I mean, are we expecting the athletic directors to pass the cost of, the athlete being at the school onto the season ticket holes. I mean, I think that's. I would a, think so. I think that's a natural inclination that that money will pass through to some degree and shift on to your fan base. Uh, certainly, obviously, some sponsorships would be involved. Um, it, but the challenge is, you would think naturally, what usually happens, like you you see them trying to cut sports, right? Well, that probably that becomes even harder to do. Because now you have to kind of negotiate with the folks before you cut their sport. You can't just cut it like you would do now. But that even becomes harder. Um, the Title IX question that you probably are giving up, that becomes 
uh, a more intriguing question where the courts will probably have to get in and say what that really means. I don't think people have an indication of what that looks like. But some things that they could negotiate, if we want to play this all the way out and they get money, you talking about the things as simple as this, that they can't negotiate now, which I don't know is necessarily all that bad. The maximum number of practices. Yeah. Competition hours, scholarship eligibility, limits on compensation, minimum grade point average that you talked about, restriction on gifts and benefits the players may accept. And some of that is going through the courts now. Think about that. You know, gifts and acceptance, that's court cases now. Scholarship eligibility, that's in the courts now. You see now that the NCAA is becoming more lenient in terms of the years they allow a player to play. It used to be unheard of to hear folks even getting five, six years, right? You saw fifth years, but that was based on the fact that you redshirted and you got special injuries, you got six. But you're starting to hear seven, eight, nine years of eligibility. Part of that is because they're seeing what's coming out of them. There's questions, should there be eligibility of how long a player plays? So there's lots of parts of this. And obviously compensation, part of that. So all of these things have a long way to really decide how they will play out. But certainly at the end of the day, when you want to drop the hammer, this certainly could have an effect on HBCUs and all colleges. To what level, I don't think we have to get too concerned about that. It's too really early to decide the level of how much this will affect HBCU. So we can hold on tight there, keep our eyes on it, keep our eyes on the prize and be prepared. But I don't think it's going to be that bad there. Uh, before we get close, I'm going to let you, Drew, uh, do a statement. And, Charles, any statements you have to make, we'll close up right after that. And I know we don't have enough time to answer uh, these questions I'm about to throw out here, Doc. But just listen to Charles say what he said uh, about that and then your rebuttal to it. These are the questions that I have. If my scholarship gets revoked or my sport gets cut, am I not eligible for unemployment since I'm a uh, since I'm an employee now? Mm. Number, number one. Does the amount that my scholarship is worth go up depending on the state based upon state minimum wages? based upon the hours that I am required to go to class, practice, travel, et cetera, et cetera. Does that go up even more, you know, overtime, you know, these are, these are certain things I'm thinking of. When you say employee, these are things that I think of. Do I get help? Do I get health benefits outside of being able to go see the train now? Uh, and if, if for some reason I go to work at, which is, which is say Texas, I go to Prairie View or Texas A&M and I'm considered an employee, and then I go and work for the state, uh, with those being state institutions, does that go into my retirement or drop or whatever you call it in your state? Do those years that I actually went to school and played ball put me four or five years closer to retirement? If I stay with the state that long, these are just certain things. When you say employee, these are just things that I think of having been dealt with human resource issues and, you know, and stuff like that. So, and I can say these questions won't get answered right here, but these are just things yeah. that come across my mind. Great yeah, questions. I, and I think the best way to answer that is we shall see. Yeah. I don't think anybody can give you a legitimate 
answer to that, but I think those are very fair questions that you're answering. And I think the courts ultimately will weigh in and kind of give a decision of what that looks like. Charles? Uh, you know, I'm going to look at it on a taxation level. So, uh, you know, and, <laughs> uh, how much why, is... Uh... Why would you do that? Does FICA get their cut? That's a very... They're going to get their cut. But just on a, just a baseline level, I, I think uh, the concerning part is, you know, we see what corporations do, how they kind of pass on the cost to the consumers. Oh, yeah. And for, from an athletic standpoint, uh, especially with regards to HBCUs, our wealth stretches only so far. So you, how, how long can you pass on that cost to the season ticket holders, whereas your season tickets go up 500 and 500? At, at some point, there is a, a meshing out of, you know, I can't just keep killing my stakeholders with regards to passing on the cost to them. You know, does it up the ante with regards to who you find in terms of sponsorships and and and, and, and corporations that are going to sponsor these programs, but that see brand value in the program? So I think that's that's those are questions to take a look at. Well, both you of you have those two questions, and I kind of oh. hold it on this as we drop it off because we got really got to close. But two of the yeah. points that you're making yeah. with those good questions is is some of the things that we have to be careful of because there could be a separation between the scholarship and the pay. Um, and so that's a question that has to be answered. Do you embed the pay within the scholarship or do you separate it totally? Do you re reduce the amount of scholarship? So there's some ways where you can create the change in the compensation. Um, the still is the legal question to Drew talked about whether that would be state regulated. There's some questions about that. And that's not necessarily defined yet. So I think what you'll find out is you'll see more court cases to really get a grip of what this means if it comes to that level. But we actually have more questions than we have answers at this time. And you left it and made the point that there were a lot more questions. I think we'll get a chance maybe to come on Sunday to talk about this a little yeah. more. But we're out of time. I want to say thank you for listening inside the HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, uh, Dean of HBC Sports, coming from inside the lab in the College of HBC Sports with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Uh, again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Bill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock Central Standard Time. I want to thank A.D. Drew for joining us, giving us some great insight, putting some valuable questions on the table, uh, give some uh, intriguing dialogue that we must think about. And I see all the listeners typing and giving their opinion. Hell Keep yeah. it up. We're going to dig a little deeper as more information comes. We'll provide you more updates. We want to tease it out, give you some framework and more to think about. And I think we did our job today. Follow me, Dr. Nyata Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Inside the HBC Sports Lab on Facebook uh, and YouTube. That's Inside the HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter. Uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, I should say. Also, make sure you put down, I want to know your grades, your grades for these major and mid-major division programs. Give me your grades. Put them down in there. I'm going to be checking out midterm grades. You saw a couple of grades we gave today. We want to get more. And I saw y'all putting out some grades as well. I want to get your thoughts. With that being said, dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Charles? Of course. AD? Lecture. Dismissed.